to Free the Bag, where we collectively liberate these coins to be black and free. I'm Isanet, and... And I'm Asia. Welcome. We're so excited to get into this episode with you today. It's Pride. Happy Pride, y'all. And even though a lot of us are still in the house or, you know, mad things are closed, we still get to be out and proud and queering things. So I'm so grateful that Yusinat and I got to queer and get to queer and be queer and love in queer ways with this podcast and in the world. Mm -hmm. So this week's episode, right? We are really leaning into the definition of freeing the bag, right? I've had some people kind of be like, wait a minute, what's that about? Tell us more. We're going to start off with talking about first what that means and then how we've been freeing the bag this week. How we view this term, right? Because obviously there's the secure the bag. There are all of these bag references, which are fantastic. I love it. I'm into and in love with like black slang. That's my shit. It had to borrow from that. But what we mean is really where we borrow from old, old black ways and new futuristic and collective ways to free the bag of money and time. Because it's not just about freeing the bag of money, securing the bag of money. It's also time, right? Because time is such a resource that is finite, right? We only have however many years we got on this earth. And so it's important that we are thinking about it as a finite resource. We could get more money. We can't get more time. Once your time is up, your lease is up with life, you out. So when we're thinking about freeing the bag, we're thinking about both things and we, and we use both things. We'll continue to talk about both things. And the reason why is because we know that the bootstrap method of just working really hard and sacrificing solo for most Black folks, just ain't going to be it. Even if you work your whole life, which so many of our ancestors have done, right? They were not able to secure the freedom in terms of their time, in terms of how they wanted to live, how they wanted to feel, how their bodies felt. It wasn't enough for them. They didn't get what was due. And so we're trying to figure out how we are remixing this shit to be thoughtfully dependent on each other in a world that pushes us to be completely independent, right? So much of what we're taught in the United States is to be like, you know, to be solo, right? And so we're trying to remix that ideology and, and those those thought processes on how we can be thoughtfully and intentionally dependent on each other so that we can free the bag of money and time together, mm-hmm. borrowing from the ancestors. Sure. So. So that takes us into how are we freeing the bag this week? Issa, like hit us. You know, I've been talking mad much already. So hit us with what you've been up to this week to free the bag. Uh, This week has been interesting because I'm ending my job or I'm transitioning out of my part-time job, which is really the one that brings me the bread and butter. I, I know many of you know that I have a business, which is great. I love my business and it's not in the place where it gives me the financial security to pay my rent and and survive off it. So yeah, so I'm transitioning out of my part-time job. I work with a a nonprofit. I have been working there for two and a half years and yeah, going to take the plunge into figuring it out, not just on my own. I don't want to say that because that's not how it's how it is and how 
and that's not how it's ever been and mm-hmm. leaning on a few things that I've been doing collectively one of those things being a susu which will which will go into um next week with a special guest but I'm excited I'm excited to try this thing that we always talk about and be in practice of it and be an embodiment of it. How are you freeing the bag this week, Asia? Well, first I want to shout you out for taking that plunge, which is really scary and especially scary for Black folks to choose not to be employed in places in nonprofits, even though we care a lot about that work. So shout out to you. And that you've already been making like space and room for yourself to be held during this time. You, you know, you knew that was coming and you were also thinking like, how can I like really depend on my folks and be using these practices to help me feel more secure, mm-hmm. which, yeah, that's, that's, that's hard to do. Even if we are like practicing doing it, it's still hard and it can feel scary. And so shout out for, shout out to you for doing it anyway. So how am I freeing the bag this week? Uh, right. I have been... A couple things. One, since these uprisings for Black freedom, some folks have called it the new civil rights movement, like lots of different definitions. But since the uprisings, I have, like many folks, been really completely exhausted with what I have been trying to do to show up for different folks in my community, students, family, just like in so many different ways that we're being pulled. And so I remember, and I've also been in a process at my work to transform our workplace to really be centering Black lives and what that means and racial justice overall. The Monday after like sort of like this stuff started happening, the protests and stuff, I was just like, yo, I just am going to let you know, I can only work three hours per day in my work week. And I will put on an away message so folks know what it is. I will get back to people who email me the next day or maybe in a couple of days. But I need to reclaim my time because I am I am being aged in a way that I don't think I will be able to get back. Mm. Um, and that feels like it is aging my spirit and my will to live, to be honest. And so, yeah, she, you know, my direct manager was like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so that is what I have been doing. I have been freeing my time so that I can have more space for myself to be held in the ways that I need to be held so I don't feel so exhausted and and more time for for community, which is what's needed to me during this time. So that's one way that I've been freeing the bag this week. And another way is just my partner sent me this like event about how QTBI POC folks, so queer, trans, Black, and Indigenous POC folks, have been trying to figure out how to collectively buy and own land. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she just sent this to me on a whim. And I was like, honestly, I don't know what this is about to be because I've never heard of this organization. You know, people be putting on things all the time. We both, everybody's been to those things. You're like, oh, this looks cute. Like the ad looks cute or whatever. The flyer looks great. And then you go and you're like, wow, can they... I know I didn't pay, but can they pay me? Because I need that time back. Um, And so I was just like, I don't know what this is about to be. But I also decided to share it with folks who I know, like Isanet and other folks who I know are on this journey of trying to collectively um, and ethically own land together. 
Um, and so I sent it and turns out, yo, they were straight hot fire. Amazing. Like, yeah, it was this organization called Brioxy. You can like look them up on Instagram. And basically they had had a, they were starting off with telling us a story about how they're trying to buy a collective block in Baltimore as queer black folks and had turned something like a very small amount of money that they somehow got from like a family member selling property to like 25 million currently are trying to yeah support sharing this information so that people can be owning blocks cooperatively so that you can share that with your instead of just your family like when you die or when you want to pass it on you can also share it with folks who share your values right and so for queer and trans folks like often family aren't the people we always want to pass things down to we do want sometimes to share that with our communities who have become like our families. And so it was just such an eye-opening conversation with Brioxy. And so I think a way that we, and Ethernet, all we always do this, but the way that we free the bag together is just by like putting folk on, right? So like I got that and I was like, look, fam, I don't know what this is going to be, but I'm going to share it because we, we don't see these opportunities often. And she does that with me. And so I think a way that we also get to free the bag is just by sharing things, right? You know, somebody's up to big work, like put them on, share the, mm-hmm. share that grant, share that link, like share that, even something small, like, you know, they're trying to get healthier with their body, like share that cleanse, like whatever, mm-hmm. share it and don't hold on to it and really intentionally keep people. I remember I had somebody told me they, that they felt that I kept them in, in my heart because mm-hmm. the way I shared things meant that I remembered what they shared that was important. And then continue to share things that I thought would be forwarding to their dreams and to them trying to free the bag. You know, those are some ways that I'm trying to lean into more of practicing freeing the bag and some of the ways I've been blessed by like Isanet, like putting me on the grants and like me being able to fill those out and like get put on. So I encourage folks to, yeah, step into that. That's that's also what we need during this time. Um, And another like for me, one of the things I'm actively doing now is I have like a group on Facebook that's called for color folks. And that's all what it's about, right? Putting people on because we know that we don't always have access. So yeah, all of those things. Yeah, we really have to be the plug for one another because say that shit. Yeah, like we're all we got. And I'm grateful that there's been people in my life that showed me that practice. And mm-hmm. what we were talking about earlier was that's just a way of being for us now. And that not everybody has that mentality or that mindset of putting people on. And so yeah. that's also something that we encourage y'all to practice, get into that practice of, of sharing and plugging people in as things come your way and not like after the fact, because I think we're also abundant beings. And I know there's been times where like I've seen something and in my before in my mind, I was like, well, I'm not going to share it because then that will lo- lessen the chances of me getting it. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, that's not how it is. Like, just share it and who it needs to go to, it will go to. Um, and also there is enough for for everybody, especially as black people. For sure. Yeah. And thank you for saying that, because it do sometimes, you know, that mentality where you're like, oh, I don't got enough. So let me try to hoard this. It, it can get to you and, and play tricks on your mind. But yeah, it's always, 
I appreciate that reminder. Is no type of solution preventing me from freedom. How capitalism got us fucked up this week. <laughs> so, yeah, we, you know, I think sometimes when you listen to financial podcasts or, or podcasts on money at all, it's like, it feels like folks is just sharing their good news, mm-hmm. as, as heard folk would say. Um, but also we know that as Black people dealing with these systems, right, the ways that they impact us are all the time. Um, and so I, you know, we didn't want this space to be a space where we only shared the good news and not the real. Um, and so this segment will always be about, yeah, our impact as as Black folk with capitalism, with the system that really centers um, competition and money as the what should be valued over people, right? Over humanity. Yeah. Issa, how has capitalism got you fucked up this week? Well, I'd say it's the same. It's kind, yeah, it, it's the same story as my free the bag for this week's story. It was, yeah, a moment where I was questioning my decision around leaving, leaving my position, leaving my job. I had submitted like a proposal to like transition to a new role, but it hasn't been approved and I'm not sure if it will. And it definitely got me deep in my feelings and I was crying and upset because I, I've been like trying to hold on to something that I probably, I feel like I've outgrown. Like you'll hear, you'll hear me talk a lot about like the nonprofit industrial complex and, and my experience experiences within the nonprofit industrial complex. Like I left quote unquote corporate America. I used to work in the hospitality industry and then started working for the nonprofit industry, trying to give back to my community and then found myself also in, in like really exhausted, really tired, seeing kind of like the same dynamics play out. And while this specific organization is is doing amazing work. Um, it's also a nonprofit. And so, yeah, I think capitalism got me fucked up by trying to, yeah, trying to make, make it seem that I am not worthy without it. Mm. And so mm. I, yeah, I was, I was crying. I was upset. I had to take a day to myself, cancel a few things including like the recording of this podcast. So shout out That's to right. friends who like are not about that, like white urgency, white supremacist urgency, but it's like, this is a creative project and we get to be with it the ways that we want to be with it. And just realizing that my liberation is not going to come from, from, from any capitalist structure. It's not going to cr- come from anything that is not centering um, blackness, queerness, earth-based practices. Um, That's right. J- joy, yeah, all these things that that are a part of me. I do want to mention that spirit and my ancestors. I just feel like they're really coming through for me and like shaking me up and making me really uncomfortable and frustrated under capitalist mm-hmm. structures as a way to like push me forward. And it's like, no, like you've been practicing this. You've been working towards like living and being in right relationship to you know to what is true and so 
just fo- focus on that. And sometimes it, it comes as other things that, again, make me uncomfortable and frustrated. So, yeah, capitalism got me fucked up, but it also, like, my spirits and ancestors, like, also got me. All right, y'all. So one of the things Asia and I were really excited about as we are starting this podcast is our segments. And so we have a funny segment. Um, funny, not funny. It's called Petty, petty Cash. And it's exactly that. We're going to be talking about, um, we're going to be petty about different money-related subjects. Um, and today's Petty Cash uh, segment is on bootstrapping and personal finance bypassing. That's mm-hmm. right. So bootstrapping, right? We actually, most of the people that I think about bootstrapping around come from like folk who got money, black folk who got money, right? And sometimes white people too, right? Like Ronald Reagan was like, yeah, all you got to do is work hard. But also he wasn't the only one that said that, right? He was, it was also like Barack and Michelle Obama have said those types of things. And Jay-Z and Beyonce kind of have uh, an Oprah, right? And so part of bootstrapping right makes a lot of sense right the idea that if you work hard you can overcome some of the things that are coming your way that prevent you from moving up the social ladder right that can prevent you from having economic stability but we know part of it is difficult because I don't know about y'all but I don't know folks in my life like personally like when I think about my mom or I think about the people the black people that I grew up with who don't work hard those folks won't work hard like niggas we out here working and still like have a lot of debt right and still don't have housing security and still don't have retirement and still don't you know don't 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 the list goes on like can't work the hours they need to work to feel good. Um, And so, um, you know, when we're talking about bootstrap uh, mentality, it's really just that idea that people were often shared this growing up and, you know, from our families as a way to protect us, right, to help us get to the next place in our life. But we also know that for most Black folks, just working hard isn't going to be the thing that allows us to overcome systematic inequality like racism and xenophobia and poverty and make it rain, right? We're not going to be making it rain just by working hard for most people. So it's important to be petty and unpacking that, right? Um, And so when I think about my own experiences, like literally lived experiences with bootstrapping, you know, growing up, the messages that I had around it were like, yeah, my mom was someone who worked more than 40 hours a week, probably around 60 hours. She was a single parent. Um, She has mad degrees. And so, you know, those were some of the early messaging that I had around. If you work hard, right, and get these degrees, like you will be able to have housing stability. You will be able to have like the life of stability. I never thought not going to college was a choice. Right. So that was like that was the template. Right. That's the blueprint. Like, okay, so for me, if I just go to college, um, I work hard in high school, um, then I will be able to be okay. I will be stable. But the thing about it is it never accounts for the systems that might contribute to undermining your ability to be okay. So like my it never accounts for, you know, going to schools that might not be funded enough to prepare you 
to get into college. Or the neighborhoods that you come from might not allow for the schools in your neighborhood to to be funded well enough. Those types of things. Or just being a single parent, like how mass incarceration might affect your parents' ability to have multiple incomes to support you as, as a kid to to share the responsibility of not needing to overwork. So my mom was a single parent. Part of why she was a single parent had to do with mass incarceration. And so all of those things mean that just working hard enough isn't going to be enough because it's not accounting for the things in our lives that we can't control, right? Which is racism, which is the fact that, you know, Black men largely are incarcerated at a higher rate, largely due due to nonviolent drug crime. When we share that with our people, like bootstrapping, you know, obviously it's to keep us safe. But again, in my experience, it was a way to get me like overworking. But actually, you know, when I think about it, even now, like I've done those things. I have mad college degrees like my mom. I overworked for many years. Um, and still am overworking now in the nonprofit world. And I don't have stable housing, right? I live in New York City, and that's a real thing that I'm working on presently, especially if you heard me from the last episode talking about housing. So, you know, it's not enough. That has been largely my experience with um, bootstrapping. And so it's not just me, though. I know that my experience isn't alone. So, for instance, if we think about, like, how much wealth actual folk have, So for instance, black folk, black folk make 59 cents for every dollar that white people make. That's one of the things like I know that I'm not alone because we are actually getting paid less for doing often comparable work. And Latinx folks get paid 73 percent or 73 cents to every dollar white folk make. So, you know, when we think about why just working hard isn't going to be the ticket, it's actually because we're not being paid equally. And that needs to be a part of the conversation about why bootstrapping and working hard isn't going to get us to a place of stability in a world that we have today. Um, And it's not just income. Right. So it's like it's not just our paychecks. It's also the wealth that we have. And so wealth and income are different. Right. Income is what you make annually, whereas wealth is what you inherit. So it's homes, it's bonds, it's land. It's like, you know, if your family has a business, all of those things are part of wealth. And so if we look at also the difference in wealth, right, like white folks on average start off with a head start, which is what we talked about last time. And so as a result of that head start of policies like the Homestead Act, which literally gave white people Um, land for like $1 and stole it from indigenous people and then continued to do that in in other forms like redlining. We know that today white folks have about 10 times more wealth than black people and eight times more wealth than Latinx people. So when we come to just working hard, like our people have been working hard for mad long and still there's a 10 times difference in wealth accumulated at the end of the day. So we are passing down less things to our people, which then puts us further and further behind because just working hard is unfortunately not going to solve the systemic issues that literally um, undermine us and that aren't allowing us to stay employed or get hired um, or buy homes or stay well, right? Issa Nett, uh, what's been your lived experience with bootstrapping? Yeah, I think as you were as you were talking, I I was thinking a lot about my own family and my family 
is on government assistance and has been probably since we arrived to this country in the early 60s, but they don't think about it as an honorable thing to do. Um, I've heard many anti-Black sentiments that I'm sure is connected to the, the that president. Reagan. Reagan, yes. And, and his project of of making us think that the welfare queen was about a black woman when in actuality they were actually describing a white woman and the fact that um, uh, white people are the folks that um, benefit most from government assistance. Um, I know that's a, that's a, a fact I learned uh, a few years ago. I don't know if it's true today, but it was true then. And so I went to college because my family wanted me to, they wanted me to be successful and they wanted me to be in an office wearing a suit. Uh, but I I really struggled through it. So I did go to college and I also graduated late. It took me four and a half years to graduate. I racked up a lot of student loans. I was super depressed. I barely made it with a 3.0 GPA. I also ended up getting a good office job at a, at a famous hotel company. And then I hated it. And then I got more depressed and then I ended up getting fired. Yeah, this shit was really hard, but I wanted to, you know, honor, honor my family's wishes. There wasn't a lot of college graduates in my family. And so I did feel that kind of like this dependence on like my success would then trickle down to their success. Mm-hmm. But I ended up having to find my own way. But in that process, I had to do it on my own because I didn't want to hear my family. Um, I didn't want to hear the comments of like bootstrapping of like, if I will, if you know, if you, if you ever want to be somebody, um, you got to do X and Y. And even though I knew they were saying it, I didn't want to hear it. So I kind of mm-hmm. created some distance between us. Um, That's right. And I was finally able to like kind of come around to my own family, like show up more once my business had some traction and like, quote unquote, a success record. So, yeah, I wasn't supported that much. I in actuality, I ended up working with one of my grandmothers who was also in a um, in a situation where she had to make money. But a lot of the jobs that were available to her weren't for people her age. You know, she was in her late 60s Mm -hmm. at this point. And so I ended up hiring her. But she was really the only person that like knew like what was happening. Yeah. So I wasn't encouraged by my family to pursue my own way um, to success. And now they're more happy for me, but they're still like my grandmother, my, uh, my, my maternal grandmother is still like, gives me, gives me a lot of shit. Like whenever I come around about like me not having a job. Mm. So quote unquote for her a job, you know, she's, she told, mm. she told my mom the other day that she go get a job at the mall. <laughs> Anyways, um, Mm -hmm. the other piece of petty cash today is personal finance bypassing. And so, Mm. I, like I mentioned in the first episode, I really leaned on the personal finance world to support me in getting out of debt, to for me to learn like what a budget was and and other things that were related to to getting financial freedom. And so. What I've experienced is also there's a lot of bypassing. And bypassing is when you avoid or, or circumvent an obstacle or a problem. So in the personal finance world, there's a tendency to tell people, especially black people, to move forward. There isn't 
a bunch of black people in the personal finance world, the ones that are are now having more more intersectional conversations related to race, but not 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 so much. And so there is mm-hmm. like a tendency to kind of like push down your feelings and your lived experiences. Mm-hmm. It happened mm-hmm. in the past and move forward. And mm-hmm. what I say to that is, can we hold both? Mm-hmm. And what I answer to that is, yes, we can. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because we have to see the Come on people. with that Barack Obama quote. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we and can. <laughs> yes, we can. And we get to see the full picture of who we are in order to make more informed and liberated choices that center the collective more often than not. Yes, there are some things you have to do on your own. And also, you can do those things as a way to to want Black people and and other people of color to have liberation. And and there isn't, like, you're not going to not get ahead if you don't hold, like, the realities of racial capitalism that exist today. Like, it is real. Mm -hmm. It is here. It hasn't gone away. And you can hold both that and your lived experiences of, you know, what we were talking about, our relationship to money trauma, our relationship to bootstrapping, even our own relationship to bypassing. I have been a bypasser in the past. Um, And so I know that that is work that I've had to do and work that I still have to do to like hold Mm -hmm. both those things simultaneously, because as black people, we are layered, nuanced people with many lived experiences that live in our dna like they're encoded in us and so we get to we get to approach our 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 liberation and any and all the parts of liberation through 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 that intersectional lens yeah no thank you for giving us that language about personal finance bypassing right it's definitely as you said like a way for us to take out the historical context from why you don't have money, right? And just to be like, that doesn't matter. So I, I'd never heard that term before talking to you. And so I, I thank you for um, sharing that with us and with me. I made it up. Um, oh, well, that's why I never heard it. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a real experience, right? Like I, I, I know what you're talking about because also I've been out these in these personal finance streets and that's absolutely what happens. So thank, thank you for giving names to something that had already been happening. My ancestors um, told me to. Exactly. Leave it to Black people to make up some names for shit. We love to do that. <laughs> if this is the case, if we have personal finance bypassing and we also have bootstrapping, right, which is this idea that, you know, all you got to do is work hard and then you'll be, you know, Jay-Z or somebody. How do folks actually get out of poverty and move towards freedom, right? Um, and so in thinking about this, right, we need education programs, right? We need things that are not just going to be on a collegiate or, you know, the normal ways, but we need like songs to be talking about this. We need the poetry. We need, you know, so many different ways to educate and share this information in ways that connect to us and that are of us, not just of white institutions. Um, shoot, if somebody has a cute Instagram, listen, that's also a way to share it. But we need we need programs to be sharing this information about building self-determination, building mm-hmm. equity and not exploitation, building care and healing and collectivism on local and national levels so that we get to invest in, in Black wealth building, 
and redistribution. It's all of those things together. And that includes reparations. That that must include a way to acknowledge the ways that we historically have been harmed and, and money has been taken out of our communities and out of our bodies, and also how that's currently happening. And we have to push these these systems to to make shifts like we are doing currently, right? Like with all these protests and stuff, we have to push also not just for when we die, but how we're living. So, um, and then the other part, right, is how we've come up with this podcast, right? We are literally giving folk in ourselves, right, old, old practices um, that are Black and also new and futuristic and collective ways to practice these, these ways to get out of poverty and be in freedom that don't just center spiritual bypass or um, personal financial bypassing, but also center um, our history, our present issues with racism and anti-blackness and allow all of those things to be a part of the conversation. This is for the girls that don't need no makeup when they wake up. For the ones who rock so, boom. We've just been talking a lot about bootstrapping. And part of that is because this next part is our practice segment. It's exciting to be able to talk about what are the practices that actually get us into having more hope for what we can create to move ourselves and our people outside of um, the, the experiences that we're having, right? This segment this week is going to be on budgeting and money planning. How do we budget and what guides our budgeting process? What is unique about what we're up to? And then what's our budgeting story and the story of our people's relationship to budgeting? So you're about to hear it all, the good, bad, and the ugly. Isanette, tell us, what's the tea? Yeah, so I first want to say that I didn't grow up with seeing my people budget. I grew up with a lot of shopping. Um, I'm from Harlem, so a lot of uh, trips to El Mundo, which is a store. <laughs> That's <Broadway>. right. <laughs> and yeah, let's, a lot of shopping. Um, and I received my family just kind of like they get paid in the bit and they would pay the bills immediately. And then anything yep. extra was free game, I guess. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So my budgeting tools have developed over time. And it's definitely connected to where I am, depending on how much money I'm making, my situation, and also like what's my purpose to budget. Um, and then, yeah, and then I think the purpose is like the why. I mm -hmm. haven't always had a why, um, but now I do. So the mm -hmm. first time it was more like money on my mind method. So just had how much money I made in my mind. It wasn't that much. So it was easy to calculate. So like when you're making a, let me see how much I was making, like $400 a week. It's like, okay, I know, I know how to keep $400 calculated in my head. Then um, I talked about it last week. I was an AmeriCorps volunteer and I was um, at the same time, my local credit union, Neighborhood Trust a federal credit union in Washington Heights. They had a uh, personal finance class called Getting Ahead. I think they still have it if you want to check it out. And they taught me about the envelope method. So that's where you have your envelope, you write the, um, the, the budget category on it, and then you stuff it with cash. So that was mm -hmm. uh, a tool that I used 
I liked it. I wasn't like I, like I mentioned, I was only making $100 a month. And so I would just write things on paper. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, my relationship to budgeting eh, at that time was like I had to because right. I had experiences where I'd be in the subway and I had forgotten to budget for a Metro card and I swiped and it was like no no credit left or whatever the the little the little bar said yeah. and then I'd be I'm a very shy person so now I'm like now I'd ask someone to swipe me forward but at that time I was really shy and then I found myself like crying and really embarrassed that I didn't have money to get me to my destination right. um yeah so the, the purpose was I don't want to be embarrassed I don't want to be without food. I don't want to be without rent money. I don't want to be without my basics. So I got to figure, right. I got to put this money in this envelope and, you know, stick to this. Mm-hmm. Then um, I think I learned after about the Mint app. And so I learned about Mint, used Mint. That was kind of cool. I think it allowed me to see how much money I actually spend on food. Then I used mm-hmm. the percentage method, which is where you divide. Um, I learned about this through Miss Be Helpful, um, Janelli, who's a friend. And the way that works is you divide your finances by fixed expenses, um, financial goals, and flexible spending. Um, mm-hmm. That was cool for a minute. And then I found values-based budgeting and zero-based budgeting, which is what I use, um, more consistent. One, because my income is more consistent and I have a deeper, stronger why. So that one is thinking about your values. So my values are racial equity, black and trans, black, trans and queer liberation, health equity, wellness. And so those are my values. And so my money is connected to those values. Mm -hmm. And then I also have accountability. So I'm part of the Money Launch Club, which is hosted by um, Jamila Safran, who also has a podcast called Journey to Launch. And I also have accountability through my friends because we are in the process of collecting buying property. And so mm-hmm. my savings and debt repayment is focused on that. And so mm-hmm. I try to be intentional also about where I put my money. In my mm-hmm. budgeting sheet, which I will share with y'all, a template of mine is um, I, it's divided by different tabs. There's one on current debt where I have like affirming language for the titles, like money I get to pay back, even though I don't fucking want to pay that shit back. But I have <laughs> it like money I get to pay back, money I'm receiving. Tell us how you really feel. You know, <laughs> how I really feel. But, you know, you got you to gotta vibrate higher sometimes that's right then i have another tab for my self-employed um freelance payments with a formula that shows me how much money i need to put away mm-hmm. so like 20 percent or 30 percent because at the end of the year i have to pay back taxes then i have mm-hmm. another tab which is savings um and like i mentioned i have a high yield savings account i didn't mention who i have it with i have it with bio bank which right now mm-hmm. they have a one 1.21 percent interest rate compared to ally bank which is 1.10 percent and then I have my actual money plan, like how much I'm going to spend for rent, life insurance, mm-hmm. savings, retirement, plethora of things. And it, it's kind of divided by, you know, like the essentials, the savings goals, and then like kind of dis- discretionary fund, discretionary spending and also mm-hmm. sinking funds and donations. Yes. And donations. So y'all get y'all get to see that if you if you I'll put it in, in the show notes um, for y'all to see my process. But like y'all, like I, like y'all are hearing here, there's been a mix and it's kind of evolved as, as I have made more money, as my situation has changed. And also as my, as my purpose for, for saving money or paying off debt has changed. There was a time where I was like, 
I don't need to pay off that. There was a time where I didn't even think I wanted good credit because my plan was to like actually leave the United States. And I was like, what the fuck do I need credit for? But now the things have changed. And I was like, oh, well, I do need good credit score if I'm going to purchase property in the United mm-hmm. States. And I want to be able as a black queer person who's going to buy land and property collectively with other black queer people. You really got to have your shit together. And so it's really uh, about responsibility and accountability to this, to my liberation, even if I got to play by the system of credit and that's that to income ratio for right now. Yeah. So I said a lot. <laughs> and okay. Asia, what about y'all? What, what about you? What's your process? Well, first, I wanted to acknowledge what I appreciated about your system and your budget, which is that one, you actually have values that you're putting into your the way you're thinking about money, like you actually put donations towards orgs and people and friendships and businesses like you know of that you're supporting. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's a values based part of it, which I think is different from other people's um, budget models, like the traditional financial independence folks. They don't have that at all. And then I also appreciate your thinking about which banks you want to bank with. You didn't really say this explicitly, but I know that you bank with Biobank because they are not supporting prisons and pipelines. Exactly. Um, as that we know of. And then you put me onto that and then I put other people onto that. Exactly. Um, so again, a part of values-based budgeting. And then that, you know, you're always evolving with it, right? You're not just like, okay, let me just stick with something that's working, not working, you'll tweak it. Um, yeah. And so all of those things for me and 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 the fact that you have collectivity a part of that you're doing this with community who you want to build with you have other mechanisms of bringing folk along with you all of those things to me make this different from a lot of the other traditional things that we see out here um so i i appreciate that i I rock with it yeah we're definitely out here experimenting and that's what we're saying that these are not these aren't things that are new but there are things that have been very have been removed from us but they're still part of our dna and so we get to like reclaim them and like kind of like search for them within us and with each other and so that's That's why this is called practice because we're practicing and we're also experimenting and figuring out things as we go along and evolve that's right so for me and my budget um situation um you know part of why i use it is because of the strong why i you know, the, the thing that really grounds me in saving any type of money is making sure I'm clear about why I need to do it. If I don't, if it's just like, oh, you should save money to save money, that ain't going to be it for me. I'm not that motivated by just money. And I think a lot of people that I know aren't motivated by that either. So when I did try to save money and I didn't have a, a strong why, it was just like, I ain't save money. I'm going to be honest. I wasn't, I wasn't doing it even though at different points I've made a lot more money than I make now. And so I would say the first step in my actual working budget is to have a strong why. I've tried, the other thing is to know yourself. I've also tried other ways, ways that are way more detailed oriented, like around tracking. And those things also did not work for me. Like the envelope method where I had to keep track of like every dollar, that ain't work. Using mint, didn't work either. And so things that helped me that actually got me to where I am are acknowledging like, okay, these things did not work for me. What are some ways you can tweak it so that it can work for you? And so one of the things that someone put me onto just by having like a literal conversation with homies, like having like a round table, like, hey, what are y'all doing? My partner was like, hey, uh, I'm using Digit. 
Indigit is an automatic savings that just takes small increments of stuff out of your um, account. And you can pause it if you want to, but it takes it out without me thinking about it. And so it analyzes your account and knows when to take out money and when not to. And so through that, I've now saved over the last three months, like a thousand dollars, but I've had it for about a year and I've probably saved total probably like $4,000 in a year. Granted, I had to use it for different things, but still that's, (laughs) listen, when I try to tell you my savings over time has not been that solid. So the fact that I've been able to do that without even thinking about it, without even missing it, that's amazing. So that's one way um, in terms of my budgeting. Another way that I mostly budget now is, like I told y'all, I have a strong why. It's tiny houses. I need housing stability. I can't be up in New York City without it. And I want a land, collective land project with other folks. So that's my really strong why. I need to I don't want to work this way forever in the nonprofits. I need to find if and once you have land and housing, your expenses are cut drastically, which means then you get to work less and work on things that you want to work on that you really are inspired by. So then the next part of that for me has been querying right other things. So and also thinking about ways other other budgeting ways and thinking about ways that I can add wellness to this, that I can add collectivity to this, which are part of my values. So for me, I I, I basically created like a template and I was able to save over the last maybe year and a half, $10,000 towards my current project of tiny house in, in collective land. So for me, the first thing was the why, like I told you, identifying that. The second was understanding what are my spending triggers? Like everybody knows when you break up with somebody, when there's you you might be depressed kind of now like COVID and the uprisings are happening, you might not feel the same. And so you have to understand like that's a spiritual thing. And as a result, we will try to fill that spiritual void. I try to identify what my triggers are. So, you know, right now it's I don't have enough stuff to do. I'm inside more often. And so that's a spending trigger to go out and find something that's that's joyful for me by spending. And so then after that, I try to research, okay, what can I do about my spending trigger? Can I cut things without noticing? What can I do to change my relationship with the spending trigger? Are there other things that I can do that are less, that that I'll spend less on? It's not going to, realistically, I can't eliminate the spending completely because there's an issue. But are there different levels in which I can engage with the thing? And then how can I put joy into this practice that might be more healthy for myself? Maybe for me, I need to cook more at this point because I'm eating out a lot more during COVID. And so a, a way that I could put joy into the practice of cooking more is maybe I could, Isanet is a wonderful chef. Maybe I could be like, yo, Isa, can you hook me up? With like some exciting summer recipes or I can bring other people on Zoom and maybe be like, yo, let's cook, do something together and make it funny and make it fun. So how can we put joy in the alternative to spending? The third thing that I do after researching, right, and really kind of understanding spiritually what's going on with me and why am I spending is to collectivize, right? So I like to share things with my people because one is an accountability method. So if I share with the homies or even just my mom, just sharing makes us have to be more accountable to it. Um, And also folks will ask us to do stuff less. So like if I'm like, hey, I'm actually trying to stay at home in the week and cook um, and I'm not trying to go um, out, then if I share that with folks, then they already know what it is, right? So they're not going to ask me, hopefully, 
to be like, yo, let's go get something to eat or let's go do this. Or I can share my budget like, hey, you know, I can only go out twice a week. So, you know, you don't have to hit me on the weekend when I can go out. Third thing that Issa already talked about is just getting accountability folks. Who are people? So for me, it would be like, who are other people who are trying to build tiny houses that then are trying to save money that I can be in a group with? or trying to do some type of housing project that will be serious about saving money, right? So get the, don't just get that person that you know is not an accountable Negro. Don't, don't do it. They're not going to be the right person for you. Try to find the most accountable person that fits you. Also, if you know you're kind of an asshole too, like don't, don't do that to that person also. So just be mindful of who you are and who they are. Um, and the last thing that I do um, with my budget is systematize. So have check-ins on the weekend with myself, um, talk to partners and friends. But basically, I need to make this into something I would do ongoing and, and trying to to make sure I do it regularly. So I literally have reminders in my calendar, like, yo, check in on this, as I would with anything that I do for work, right? I have a reminder. I don't just like be like, oh, I'll remember. No, because I won't. So basically, that's the complicated way that I do that. But the very simple way, honestly, deadass, is that I try not to eat out in the week I try to cook and then I eat out on the weekend. So that is that is my only budgeting method. I don't have to count coins. I don't have to like keep track of every dollar. I don't have to be on my mint like that. But if I just so mine is taking my my most expensive expense, which for me is eating out and reducing it. And so that and and and, and then paying attention to when I notice that shifting. So if I know I have a spending trigger, oh, what's going on? Is it stressful at work? But that's basically it. That's what I do. Yeah. And you also mentioned digit. So the money that you're spending, not, not eating out, then digit is taking it and putting it away for you. Absolutely. So those are my two major, major things. Yeah. I also wanted to mention that because of my values based and zero budgeting process and being part of this accountability process through the Money Lunch Club and also with my with my friends, I have been able to pay off nine thousand dollars in consumer debt and I've been that's able right. to save six thousand dollars. So that's mm-hmm. those are like the, the benefits of, of of that. And that that does bring me joy knowing that like. I'm getting liberated from this debt that I I accumulated because I was getting paid four hundred dollars, nine hundred dollars <laughs> um, mm-hmm. of income, and so I had to like kind of lean on credit cards um, for a bit. And also when I was when I was starting my as a freelancer as a self employed person, I didn't understand taxes, but now I mm-hmm. get it, and that's why that twenty that twenty percent and thirty percent is part of my budgeting process, and I take it out even though I really want my full paycheck or of that freelancer gig or that self employed gig. I you know just I just take it out because now I know better. Yeah, and so uh, you know thinking back as to what are things that you heard that I did different, right? So there's the there's knowing yourself. There's literally knowing what is likely to work for you and not going to work for you. There's understanding the spiritual relatedness of, you know, why we're spending, like what is making you spend more. There's sharing with your people. So you're doing this in community, right? There's always a way. To, and when you share, right, it also makes other people mindful of how much they're spending. And so it has a domino effect where other people are also considering how they're spending and might be shifting their behavior. And that's honestly happened with me and my people, like sharing things like people now ask me just out the blue, like, yo, like a friend literally hit me up yesterday was like, yo, what high yield savings are you using? Because they know I talk about this stuff. And so now we have a community of even soft accountability, like 
Like this is not even formal. And then the last part, I think like what Issa was saying and and what I've been saying too is what's the why that's going to be able to hold you down? Like really doing the work of digging into your why. Like what is it? going to be the thing that really launches you into wanting to save, even if you're not a disciplined person, even if you're tired of saving or are tired of budgeting, like what's going to be the thing that roots you into doing it more than not. So that's, that's that on that. Yeah, to practice. On a day like this, thank you, it be like summer. I feel like summer. Yo, that was dope, Asia. I always appreciate you querying everything. And it's, yeah, such a, a sweet reminder um, for me. And, yeah, I appreciated that we're giving folks, like, variety um, to, approach, yeah. to approach this. Yeah, so we're, we're coming to the end. Um, but before That's we right. end, it, just to summarize, we we talked up, we defined what free in the bag is. We introduced our fun segments. Um, we talked about bootstrap mentality and uh, personal finance bypassing, and then also shared our our budgeting practices. Or instead of saying budgeting, can also use money planning. So money planning yeah. practices is, and we now wanted to turn it to y'all. Like this podcast is for us um for us a great way to practice and we want y'all to be practicing as well and so we encourage y'all to try try to answer these questions um maybe with with your people maybe with the an accountability person or maybe on your own first uh, so what is your family's relationship with bootstrapping and uh, what is your relation your relationship with budgeting are you budgeting now if you are, what parts are working? What parts make it hard? And what is your why for budgeting? Yeah. Your why is really important, which then brings up. And I would go ahead. add one additional. What are your spending triggers, right? Like get, get, you know, get down and dirty with yourself and try to understand what are things that you know set you off to spend more than you normally would, right? On an emotional and spiritual level. Yeah, I also then wanted to also bring it back to you talking about joy and budgeting. I I do have um right. I do have a playlist that I I use when I'm budgeting. Not all the time, but there's just specific songs that I like to listen to, and maybe I'll make a playlist and a free. Maybe we could make a free the bag playlist and share it Yo, with. Oh, let's do it! Yeah, um, cause yeah, that's love it. it. I, it kind of gets me in 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 my, in the in the groove, or sometimes I'll I'll like look at things I want to like workshops I want to attend like this month in July I want to attend a workshop on it's like this black doula is going to be talking about how to, how black people can get ready for conceiving like having children mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I'm like definitely budgeting for that and I'm also going right. to budget for um this young adult queer novel that um i really want to want to read and so that's also gets getting me excited about my about budgeting in a few days and so yeah so then that brings me that brings us to our another segment that will be um part of our podcast which is a free in the bag affirmation um Mm -hmm. affirmations are really important 
they are about magic. They are about manifesting, and that is integral to the survival of Black people. And and so we're gonna talk about our whys um, under this segment for for today. But then over you know over the next over the next episodes, then it will evolve. And so my affirmation um, for for my pretty much all my budgeting, like my why as of this moment is that I deserve to live like my ancestors did before white supremacy and colonization. They had a really great relationship to earth and saw their survival directly linked to the, to the ways that we, we were giving back to the land and in right relationship to the land. And so I deserve, I deserve that. I deserve that type of liberation. And I know that in being in right relationship to earth, then I am in right relationship with all, with all other beings. Mm, yeah, I love hearing your why. It always like feels so beautiful and so magical, just like listening to that and like imagining that we get to have that and that you get to have that. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Mine is, I view having tiny houses and collective land with other black and brown people as a way to get get to break generational patterns of overworking. Um, which is real deep in my line with my mom and her mom and her mom and just goes back and individualism, right? The ways in which white Western culture tells us that we just need to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and get to work. And so I, I get to break those generational patterns that allow me to have more time for spiritual, emotional, mental freedom in this lifetime. I don't got to wait to the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, and and to be able to share that with 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 my my family and with my community, and so I I get to remind myself that as I do this budget work, that that is why right that I'm rooted in in things that can happen in this life. Ashe, Ashe, yes. goodness, y'all, thank you for rocking with us um, as we move into the next episode. Just want to give y'all a preview as always. So we talked a lot about money planning and budgeting. And we talked about it mostly as it relates to money. Um, And in some episodes, we'll talk about how it relates to how we also budget our time. It's not just about budgeting the money. It's also about the time. But the next one is going to be one practice for me. And I know Issa has saved as well. I I was able to save, I think it was about $1,200 through intentional dependability, right? Because that's something we say is about freeing the bag. How do I, how do I get into relationships with intentional dependability rather than independence, which is what we're taught? And so we're going to talk about susus, how you too can understand susus, how folks are making them in the now, and how you can make one too. And we'll have a special guest with us, Baron Harvey. So stay tuned. It's going to be lit. And it's another way that you can lean into practicing during this time, right? To be free, to free the back. Thanks, y'all. Have an amazing Thanks, week. Happy Pride. And happy Pride. That's right. All right. See you next time. Bye.